you that uh, your uh, word, the Bible, exposes our weakness. And we pray that tonight we may be those who humble ourselves, that we might find out how we really are, and yet discover greater depths of your love as a result. So teach us, we pray, and we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And you raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own faith, it is the gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to stop there because uh, Natalie can take the children to their group and we'll stay put and study this passage in our group here in church. Okay, uh, we're here to uh, look at uh, uh, the Bible and Ephesians chapter 2, that passage we just read. And let me come in with this question, um, which is, have you ever been loved by a gracious God? Do you know what it's like to be loved by a gracious God? Because it's unlikely that you would have met a love like that anywhere else. <coughs> I think the hard form of human love that people talk about is um, uh, unconditional love. That means you may be good, you may be bad, I'll love you anyhow, but this is different to that. It turns out today is a love when we're not good, ever. And it tells us that there is a love like that pointing at you in this third world as a female. And as you realize, it will change you and make you a new person. That's what we're going to be studying tonight, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at it. 
uh, because we're looking at different things that were discovered or rediscovered by the church in the Bible 500 years ago. And the reason why we needed to rediscover it, because about 300 years after Jesus, people were going well. And then a man called Constantine, he was Roman emperor at the time, he said he became a Christian, but he brought pagan ideas into the church, and the Roman church, because he was the emperor of Rome, the Roman church absorbed and accepted his pagan ideas, and for year after year after year, the Bible, the, the Bible was read, and the church uh, went its way uh, in a different direction. And then 500 years ago, uh, that German monk we saw on our little video earlier, he read the Bible. And he realized it was different to what the church was thinking at that time. And so he publicly nailed 95 theses, if you like, protests against what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching. And so he started what he had known as the Protestant movement. And really, those 95 things that he said, there were five special big truths that came to the front. And each of those truths, he stuck the word alert, just to draw importance. So he spoke about the Bible alone, about grace alone, about faith alone, about Jesus alone, about God's glory alone, living for that alone. So, he was drawing attention to how you just needed these five things, you didn't need everything else the Roman Catholic Church was teaching. And so, the Latin word for alone is sola. So, quick Latin lesson. Uh, you say sola, you say English. So, Latin, English, Latin. Uh, and so therefore, they came to be known as the five solas. Sola, because this was Latin in those days. Sola, hello. Scriptura, gratia, fides, Christus, and Gloria, which is the Latin for all those different things that we were just talking about. So, that's what they were looking at. And the Bible uh, we saw last week, was the first discovery. So that scripture, and you just need the Bible to understand what God is like and how to grow in it. And today, we're going to look at the second one, which is Sola Gratia, which is by Grace. Now, you won't maybe think very much of those words, but those words in Greek, let me tell you. When they understood it 500 years ago, their joy went right across Europe. And that is where you will find your joy if we understand what we're looking at tonight. A lot of people go to other places for joy in, uh, uh, in uh, I tell you what, Abigail, I'm going to have to take to that. Abigail, take to that. And 
this type of energy charge is spreading all the way across in Europe, and uh, it was uh, a major part uh, that caught fire and spread. A lot of people today uh, look for joy uh, in different places. In church, uh, you can go to a cracking good uh, worship service. And people look for joy in uh, music. And so there are great churches in London. Uh, there's one called Hillstorm that is especially there to give you a high quality music and you find uh, joy uh, in that experience until Monday comes. And the rest of the bag is gone somewhere else and you're left with Monday morning and all that that brings. But if you understand what the Bible teaches rather than just what uh, music uh, show is put on, you will discover new joy that is deep and last on the worst Monday you could ever have. And that's what we're looking at tonight. So the first thing we're going to look at is we look at these uh, uh, ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2. The first thing we're going to look at is what I call the hopeless maze. And you can see that in verse 1, how hopeless I am. In fact, actually, that picture doesn't do it justice, does it? Because it looks like I'm sitting up. But what the, what the passage actually says is, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walk. You can't be more hopeless than when you're dead. Now, at this point, I want to defend myself and say, hold on a I can understand if God was to say to me, I look, I'm disappointed. I'd even expect God to say, you could do better. But dead? Not disappointing. Dead. And at that point, I begin to understand that there is something seriously wrong. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You might wonder, what is this Bible word sin? What does it mean? I want to say got three elements to it. First, it tells you that you refuse God. We are disobedient, it says in verse 2. Second, it says we replace God. We follow the world. Actually, we follow the devil, the prince of this world. It says that in verse 2. And it also says that we rival God. I go after my desires. I put them in front of God. I make myself God. And so therefore, uh, we are completely without hope. Because this is what we're like. But at that point, I say, okay, my defense has been blown away. At least let me defend our people. Surely, there are good people who are not like this. For example, the Apostle Paul, he wrote the letter, he's the Apostle of the Bible. Now, you can't say this about them, except, Susan, Susan. Even the Apostle Paul, we all want to live 
in the captions effect. So this includes not just uh, me, but everyone. We are like the rest of mankind at the end of verse 3. My friends, everyone is uh, uh, dead in front of God. And that's right, because let me tell you, you can take on anybody you like, and the worst you can do is come away getting hurt. But take on the God of the universe, and you expect to be in trouble greater than you ever imagined. And so we are children of wrath at the end of verse 3. We are refusing God, we replace God, and we rival God. And we can't change. No one chooses Jesus. I just want to might want to play the comparison game. We say, I'm good, or that person's best, and that person's best. But you're happy with the good, better, and best when you're comparing. But it doesn't work like that when you talk about dead. You can't say dead, 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 dead. You're just dead. But I like this uh, battery, uh, like the radio uh, without uh, batteries. We can stick the area up, we can turn the knobs, we can press the dials, we can turn up the volume, but nothing comes through if there's no batteries inside. Until an external hand comes and puts in new batteries. Then the radio comes alive. Until then, that is what life is like for everyone. But God comes to hopeless me, and he puts the batteries in. And so, the second thing I want to talk about is the grace of God. And I suppose, really, there's only one way you could uh, draw. Uh, um, there's only one way uh, you can draw uh, God's uh, love of us, and uh, Ruth, I wonder if you could share your Bible, please, with Rita. Uh, the only one way you can share God's love for us, and that is by drawing a gigantic arrow pointing downwards at us. That is the only way you can understand what God is like. And he tells us that you draw the arrow, and down comes that arrow, uh, a God who is rich in mercy. The people have got uh, wealth built up in different areas. Uh, some people have got uh, wealth built up in uh, huge bank accounts. And God's got uh, all his wealth built up in his mercy, in his ability to do good to bad people. He is rich in mercy. And there uh, is also great love. That means he will do anything to keep his love on things. And that's why you see, in God's eyes, he did a swap between verse 3 and verse 4. If you like, you can describe us in verse uh, 3 as objects of wrath, and Jesus, if I can put it like that, is an object of God's love. Okay, verse 3, objects of wrath, verse 4, objects of love. And then what happens when he is done cross 
is that you get reversal. You get Jesus becoming an object of wrath. And those who were objects of wrath become now objects of love. And that's not just something happened on the cross at one off event and on that day it was like that. No, if you read on after verse 4, it tells you this is now the settled attitude of God towards his people who he died for. From now on, he is going to show them nothing but kindness through all the coming ages. That is how it will be because of what he did on the cross. For the rest of eternity, in verse 7, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to our God in Christ Jesus. So the summary of that is that God has saved us by grace in verse 8, which is, you don't deserve it, but the great love and the great mercy are yours. Now, what changed when uh, the Roman Catholic Church went away from the Bible is they stuck in a little arrow, which is what we do to God. Not just all about what he does for us. And the Roman Catholic Church said, look, uh, there are certain things called sacraments. And when these things are done, then you get God's grace coming through. So, for example, uh, baptism is what uh, the Bible has spoken about, and they call it christening, because when you become baptized, you become, get the grace to become a Christian. You become a Christian at baptism, they taught. So they changed the name to christening. And then when it came to uh, communion service, they called it the Mass. By the course of the Lord's Supper, they called it the Mass. Because they said that uh, when the priest offers up the bread and wine, it actually changes into the body and blood of Jesus, so that you get a top-up of Jesus every week to go to church and take the Mass. So, yes, God is great, but you've got to do these things to get the grace. That's how it works. And we saw last week that in Bible math, if you add, you subtract. If you add anything to what God has done, you take away from what God has done. And therefore, you begin to wonder whether you've done enough. Because the spotlight has changed from God's error to you, it says this is what God has done to you because it's rich and has great love, and you say, no, this is what you've got to do to God. And if the arrow is now there, you start wondering if the arrow is going to be sufficient. And you wonder whether it might get you there after all. And that ultimately is the position that we saw earlier is sin. You're refusing God because you're saying, no, God hasn't done enough for me. I don't trust that just on his own. I replace God. I've got to add my contribution and not just simply take his. And then thirdly, I'm going to rival God. It says here, no, I'm the first. But I want to do a little bit, so I can at least first a little bit that I've done. So in the end, when you add to what God has done, we begin to see that actually we are just back in square one, back in our deadness, in our stresses 
and in our service. And the whole point is that we are not sick patients that need to go to hospital or church to get some medicine in the sacraments. We're dead. And only the dead will find life in Jesus. And when you begin to understand that that is how God is towards us, we are at the bottom of the big arrow. We never have to go near the little arrow. That's when you understand that this is how God looks at you. Immeasurable kindness from now on. And the floodgates of joy spread through Europe. And uh, we begin to understand there is a future in front of us. That whatever happens in the future, if you're a Christian, you will never stop God's kindness coming away. That's how it's set up from now on. And one of the great kindness of God is verse 10, which is to make us like Him. So, from the hopeless me, the gracious God now, there is hope for me. There are good works that I can stand up and run towards and do. Now, what are these good works that I was talking about? In some ways, it's like actually say, I'm talking about this particular kind of thing that you can do that would be regarded as good work. I suppose any good work will do in that description, but I think when you look at this passage, it's got something specific in mind, a special type of good work that now Christians can start to do. And that is to start treating other people the way God has treated us. So we begin to reflect God's love for us in the way that we deal with people who are failures that we meet. And it's a bit like uh, a reflection. Now you can see in that lake that it's because the mountain is there that the lake can reflect the mountain. It's not like uh, we've got to do good work to kind of you know, show, start the whole new mountain up of good things. No, God's the mountain that exists. We reflect the mountain by our good works. When God has treated us, we begin to treat others. So where God has been rich in mercy towards us, had great love towards us when we were dead in trespasses, so when we start meeting other people who don't deserve anything from us apart from our anger, we start acting towards them in love because of the way God has acted towards us when we deserve that. We start accepting that. You look at the next little bit that follows, and what happens is that the Jews and Gentiles who hate each other are now beginning to come together and they are at peace with each other. And therefore, you begin to see that, that there is great compassion in the way God reacts. So we go to people who may have failed us, who have hurt us, who deserve our anger maybe, and we start doing good to them. That's the good work for us. That we are able to reflect God in, in the way that he is. So what do we learn from that as we go tonight? Well, maybe if you're someone who's not Christian, people can say, can't they, you've got to find out what God is like. 
But what this part of the Bible says though, is the first thing we need to do is to actually find out what we are like. And that we need to understand humbly that we are not starting. But just as much as far away from Jesus as you can get, because we are lifeless in Christ. We are dead. We are those who um, who abide um, with God, uh, who reject God, and who reject God. And we're not just uh, like uh, people who are thinking, let me think about Christianity, and then I'll make a, a choice, shall I? So we're like that radio without the batteries in. Yes, there might be a, a voice uh, communicating, but there's no way we're going to be hearing it because the area might be up and the mob might be all tuned in, but nothing's happening because there's no battery. We are dead. But how do you know when God has put the batteries in? I think we know when God has put the batteries in when we begin to see that we are dead. I don't think anyone really understands that they are not started with God until God starts bringing life to And that moment, when people begin to see, wow, I'm nowhere in God's forefront able to have a relationship with Him. At that point, it's an indication that God is putting life And we begin to respond by saying to God, God, please give me life. Take me from the dead person I am to make me alive in you. And the rest of our lives, we live. But whereas we are at the bottom end of a very big area of God, rich in mercy, with great love, dealing with us in that way. What happens if you're churchy? Well, I think our problem you've been to church lots and lots, maybe other churches before you got here, is that we can focus on the little hours. And what happens is that normally that takes us into a kind of Sunday heavy Christianity. It's a Sunday Christianity thing that uh, we go to church on the Sunday to get the little hours, the sacraments that, uh, that we can uh, do ourselves to to get hold of God better. And there are different ways in which different churches will play this. Prosperity gospel churches who have the little arrow of financial generosity. So what you do is, yes, God is generous for 40 years, but you've got to chip uh, in your part, and then God will give his blessing on what you've done, and you get more back. Or you get the worship gospel, which is the uh, uh, I'll go to church on Sunday not for sacraments or for uh, prosperity and generosity, but I will go to church for my singing in the worship service, and we mentioned that he was on like that earlier. And the answer is yes uh, for that night. The grace feels flat when the Sunday is over. Whereas the Bible Christian is to somebody who understands that the little area doesn't get a little. The big area is uh, what we receive from God. And nothing but the big area 
and down comes that big arrow every day. God's rich in mercy, God's great in love. And that is the arrow that made the guy called Isaac Newton, who was a slave trader, write this song, Amazing Dress, How Sweet the Sound That Saves a Wretch Like Me. He saw himself at the bottom of that arrow. That's what made him start. And then lastly, what happens if you're a genuine believer? You understand how God has a compassionate love towards you. If you are someone who doesn't deserve all that God has done, but nonetheless God has brought you his great love, made you alive to it. You've understood the one way of um, love of God and the way I have the sinners on the receiving end of it. I want to say there are two implications for us. One is that whatever happens to you, please, after verse 3, which is no longer true for you if you're a Christian, never think that whatever happens to you is because God is angry with you. And I say that again. Never think when you get that parent and understand God's love. Never think that what happens to you is because God is angry with you. Bad things may happen, I'm not saying everybody's going to get an ice cream falling from the sky every day. Bad things may happen, but they happen because God in his kindness is shaping your life into someone like the Lord Jesus. And he didn't have our skin falling out of sight for him either. And our lives begin to match him because God loves us. But he changes us to be like the one he loves. He is only son. Please don't think that whatever happens to you, there will be anything but the immeasurable times God comes down to you through the ages. And it's important we begin to understand that that large habit over us is what rules all the events of our lives, even the bad ones. But the second thing that is good, is good for us to understand is that we need to uh, grow our response to God through people who fail us. People who might make us very angry, who should drive to be objects of our lives. And now God, because of His great mildness love for us, we can reflect that. In small ways, where people this week will come and hurt you, break your heart, and fire up your hands. And we begin to understand, no, I just need to go down and repay them the way they have hurt me. I can do something different. I can reflect much. I can begin to show them mercy and love. And I can start doing good for them rather than what you are. And that is a, a fantastic piece of the great thing. That's what I meant when I said to start. You would be a different person when you understand what the big arrow is coming towards you. Because you can then reflect that's really in your relationship with others. So let me pray for that.
and we have a moment in class where maybe we can try to ask these things ourselves, and then we'll take questions uh, and uh, comments in a moment after that. So, why don't we have one minute? Uh, you think of what you might want to talk to God if you like to watch it. And after we I'll sum up and I'll pray. Then we take questions after that. So we pray and then we'll share some thinking together. Father, we do want to thank you for this opportunity to understand that precious treasure that was rediscovered 500 years ago. This amazing uh, grace that you have towards us because you are rich in mercy, because you have great love. Even for those who are objects of your wrath, because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, please forgive us the way that we reject you, for the way that we replace you, for the way that we rival you. Please forgive us the way that we have done everything in our power to burn your anger towards us. So we do want to thank you, Father, that you give us undeserving love. Thank you to the Lord Jesus, who was the object of your love, who gave the object of your anger, that we, who are the object of your anger, might become the object of your love. Please help us to really go out in the ocean confident of your kindness and wanting to reflect your mindless love in this unique way when other people fail us. And we pray for your help in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.